1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Boy, we do not go gently into the Good Friday. Lots of breaking news. Authorities say they have arrested the nut job who they believe was responsible for sending the various pipe bombs over the last couple days. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, they, they're not saying whether they think the guy acted alone. My guess is this is a lone wolf, but it's just my guess. Before we get to that, though, I, I do want to talk about this breaking local news. And one of the things that I am always struck by, and one of the very, very cool things about working in, in radio, and especially working in radio as long as I have in this market, is how connected our, our fans are, how connected you are with the operations of, you know, the station in Milwaukee radio. When I, we did our cruise a couple of weeks ago and we, we did a little section where it's kind of a question and answer session. And uh, one of the comments that they got back is how people wished it would have gone on longer because people were interested as to, you know, what is going on? Well, I think everybody knows that for the last several years, last three plus years, WTMJ Radio and the radio cluster, the different radio stations that we owned across the country, were owned by Scripps Broadcasting. Scripps Broadcasting, I, I think, has been a wonderful employer. I, I, I do, but Scripps Broadcasting is primarily a TV station, a series of TV stations. They own TV stations all across the country. And Scripps made the decision to divest itself of radio. And I mean, the story has been in the market for a long time. And for the last, I don't know, several months, our our boss, Steve Wexler, has been tasked with the responsibility, essentially, of finding homes for the different radio stations across the country, owned by Scripps, formerly owned by Journal. In Milwaukee, our two radio stations, WTMJ and WKTI, are scheduled to be purchased, and the purchase, I think, closes next Thursday, November 1st, by by good Karma Brands and the CEO of Good Karma Brands, a guy named Craig Karmazin, who I've had the opportunity to get to know a little bit over the course of the last couple months. We have a lot of mutual friends and, and I, I will tell you this. I've never, I don't know that I've ever met anybody, perhaps outside of Steve Wexler, who, who has more of a commitment to, to local radio. And I, I think it's going to be a, a very, I think it's going to be very good for WTMJ moving forward. I hope to have Craig on, I think next Thursday. We're, we're scheduled to, to cl- closing is scheduled to be on Thursday. And once that happens, I, if we can work it out with his schedule, I'm, I'm going to have him on for, for 20 minutes or so to talk about what he views as the future and things like that. But what was announced today is that once November 1st, starting at 5 a.m., once this, this deal officially closes, um, what is going to happen is our sister FM station, 94.5 WKTI, which has been KTI country for the last year or two, um, it is going to become 94.5 ESPN FM, which will feature local sports talk, play-by-play, and ESPN programming. And, of course, 540 ESPN is the station that Good Karma Brands already owns. Initially, there's going to be a simulcast, but what's ultimately going to happen is – 94.5 ESPN is going to be its own sort of standalone ESPN station with individual and unique programming. They, of course, 90, right now, 540 ESPN has the Marquette basketball games. WTMJ, of course, has the Brewers and the Bucks and, of course, the Packers. So it's a great synergy. And, again, I think it represents this commitment that Good Karma Brands has to local 
spoken word radio. And I, I think it's extremely exciting. So what's going to happen is for the next few days, KTI Country will continue to operate as KTI Country. But effective 5 a.m. next Thursday, November 1st, you're going to have the switch. And um, I think, again, there's a lot of reasons behind it, but a lot of us here are are excited about the future moving forward. And I will just leave it at that. But that's the story from Milwaukee Radio, at least um, here at Radio City today. All right. Next Friday, one week from today. Rue, who is producing the show today and always, I, I want to make sure that you are here because I, I know, I know where you might be. Instead of showing up at work, you might be deciding to ride the flop. I mean the hop, because a week from today, the streetcar that we have, Tom's Trolley Folly, that we have spent tens of millions of dollars on to create a 2.1 miles trolley line between the bus depot and the Lower East Side, it starts. Now, for the first year at least, the rides will be free. So it's going to be tough to necessarily generate, figure out really how popular it is because it's free. You, you, you can ride for free thanks to a sponsorship by uh, the Potawatomi tribe. They're, they're going to be underwriting the cost of this. But it's it's going to go into effect. This is Tom Barrett's dream. Now, there have already been some problems with the rollout of the flop, I mean the hop. You've already had pedestrian accidents. You've had bicycles getting caught in the track. You've got car doors that are being taken off. You've had the incredible disruption that people who live along the trolley line have had to go through over the year and a half. But everybody, at least if you view, read some of the stuff in the mainstream media, and you look at the politicians downtown who are looking at this through rose-colored glasses. They say that this this is going to be this is going to be it. This is going to be a turning point for Milwaukee. Now there was an interesting question that, that's out there about how how is the streetcar going to handle the homeless? What do you mean? How are they going to handle the homeless? Remember, I said a minute ago the rides are free, <laughs> so it, it it costs nothing to ride the the hop. So, let's see, November, December, January, February, it's kind of cold outside. So what do you do with people who are are looking to try to, I don't know, stay warm? And, of course, this is an issue. Milwaukee's rules will limit the length of individual rides, regulate what could be brought on board, and ban sleeping on on vehicles. So you're not going to be able to go to sleep on the hop. But what essentially is going to happen is when it reaches the end of the 2.1-mile line, everybody's got to get off. Well, then you have to get back. You can get back on again for free, and you can get back on again right there. So there's nothing to stop people from essentially riding all day on this back and forth, other than you have to get off at the end of the line, and you can get back on for free. But officials don't seem to think this is going to be too much of a problem. Time will tell. All right, we are a week away from operation. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I confess, I think this is one of the dumbest ideas that I have ever heard. I think this is an enormous waste of money. And my prediction is, I don't know, five five years might be too long. Ten years from now, I, I think this trolley will go the way of other trolleys, which will mean it's not going to be used. Because I think what's going to happen is once 
people have to start paying for this. They're not going to ride it. There's not going to be the funds to expand this throughout the city. You're not going to have the money to spend hundreds of millions of dollars of more to run the streetcar to different types of places. And once Tom Barrett leaves office, I have a feeling that the new mayor and whoever is politically in charge then, since they're not as invested as Tom Barrett is, going to end up saying, okay, you know, this... This was fine, but it's not a great idea, and we're not going to put more money in it. That is my prediction. But we are a week out from the start. Here is my question to you. Is the streetcar going to be a success or a failure? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1216 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, one week from today. The hop starts operating. Somebody makes an interesting point. The hours, let me see, the hours for the hop slash flop, it's going to start running at 5 a.m. in the morning, and it is scheduled to knock off around 12 o'clock at night, um, midnight. It, uh, somebody made an interesting point. If part of this idea is to, I don't know, transport some of the people who want to go to bars and stuff on Water Street, huh? It, it's going to end running before bar time. What exactly does that mean? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how you doing? Good. What do you think? It's going to be a success or not? Yeah, I don't think. I think the only chance that it has of being a success is if it were extended out like towards Miller Park and Potawatomi and some donation came in that besides what Potawatomi is doing, you know, I, I, I drive a lot of Uber and Lyft uh, part-time and that's, that's the main conversation is if it, if it went somewhere, you know, but as a, uh, uh, no, no, I, I see you make an outstanding point to, to run, <clears throat> to run a streetcar line out to, like, say, Miller Park. Okay, this this 2.1 stretch of streetcar line costs in the neighborhood of $100 million. All right, yeah. so if you're going to run the streetcar line down Wisconsin Avenue and, and out to Miller Park or run it to the Pfizer Forum, my, my guess is you're talking about hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars, and I just who, and that's the only way it would have any chance of success. Right. But where is all that money going to come from? Yeah. Yeah, so unless Potawatomi says, hey, it's worth it for us to have all these people come by between Summerfest, Miller Park, and the arena and go right by and they pay for it, I don't see anybody else stepping up to make that type of donation. Well, you know, and it's interesting you made the point, Mike, about, you know, Uber and Lyft. That's, that to me, that's the way millennials get around nowadays. Everybody's got that app on their phone. You know, you, you call up your, your Uber driver. They show up where you are. They show up when you want them. And then for a reasonable price, they take you there. I just, I mean, I think the streetcar is, is 50, 60, 70, 80 years too late because even for the people who aren't driving cars, they're still going to be doing the Uber and Lyft to get exactly where they want to go. Yeah, that's kind of the joke that happens with the people that ride Uber and Lyft is we're using 1920s technology 100 years too late right now. Um, yes. No, thanks. thanks. I mean, again, that's – see, I, I I understand that you might have certain cities where the whether it's the streetcar or other forms of public transportation make eminent sense. Typically, those are cities where it is difficult, if not impossible, to drive in. I mean, imagine like the larger cities where it's too expensive to own a car, where the traffic is so heavy you can't get around, where there's no place to easily park the car. That is not Milwaukee. 
it, it's not. It's easy to drive around. It is easy to park cars. And again, I just, I don't see people giving up the convenience, number one, if they own the cars, to walk a quarter mile, to hop on a, on a streetcar, to go, you know, half a mile. I just don't see that. Now, maybe in the beginning there is a novelty, and especially if it's free, it's going to be tough to really gauge, you know, how popular that this is because you're not going to have to pay for it. But it, it just, it doesn't go anywhere. And the only way it seems to me it succeeds is if you invest hundreds of millions of dollars, and even then, you're always going to be stuck on that fixed car line. I mean, I don't know. Somebody comes into town. All you have to do if you want to go out to Miller Park is you do the Uber thing, and boom, you're you're out there. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Ralph in the Third Ward. Hi, Ralph. You're on WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. What or do you good think? Afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. I, I, I think we are in a national competition for talent of millennials. And so the streetcar isn't for people like you and me. I'm, I'm your age. It's for young people who are looking for different cities to move to. And something like this is important to them as they're deciding where to go. So I think it's a success. I think it's a good thing to do. And I think it's a, it will help us bring in more talent that we need for our high-tech business. Well, okay, but it, there's only a 2.1-mile streetcar line. There's only going to be a limited number of people who are going to live in that immediate downtown area and have access to it. Do you think millennials who live in other parts of the city are going to drive somewhere, park their cars, get out, and then ride the streetcar for that 2.1 miles? No, I don't think people will drive to it. I think millennials um, tend not to purchase cars, and so they will move into neighborhoods that are served by it. And secondly, of course, I agree it needs to be expanded, so it ought to come down 4th Street to the uh, arena and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. But it obviously has to prove itself with what's there now and be expanded thereafter. Do you but think, I think they're doing? I think you're talking to, you know, people like you and me. This isn't why it's being built. Mm-hmm. And I think, in terms of trying to make Milwaukee an attractive and successful place for the businesses that are high, trying to hire tech workers, I think it's a great. Idea. Well, I guess I mean, th- th- time will tell. Now, unfortunately, one of the by. By allowing free rides, and on the one hand, I understand, if it's free, it's it's supposedly great, but we won't have any sort of accurate indication as to whether it's going to succeed or not until I think people have to start paying for it as well. I mean, I, I don't know what the early numbers are going to show. I mean, my guess is you're going to have all sorts of people that, that want to try it, and then first week or first two weeks or maybe the first month, especially since it's free, there's going to be that, that newness to it. And then, of course, I, I think people are going to start to realize it's it's not going anywhere. Now, the fact is that because it is free, that's going to skew the numbers. So the, we're really not going to have an idea as to whether this is something that people would actually pay to ride on until, again, we get into the second year or the third year or whenever it is that they decide to discontinue the free rides. You say you think this is going to be a key for millennials. Maybe. My general reaction, though, is I, I think – it's got to go somewhere. And, and yes, if you had, if we had a billion dollars to, to spend, to extend it all across, I don't know, the, the area of the city so that maybe, you know, you could do that. Okay. Maybe. But is that really the best use of 500 million or a billion dollars when, you know, you could have bus lines or you could have rubber tire trolley lines, which would operate a lot cheaper that you could say, 
All right, um, Summerfest is going on, so here's what we're going to do. From the bus depot and the train station, we're going to run rubber tire trial tired trolleys taking people down to the lakefront and we're going to charge you 50 cents a piece for a ride or something like that would that be the better use of it i guess we we will time will tell but color me skeptical scott on the south side scott you're on wtmj hi thanks for taking the call i i sat on the committee back before boomer back to wisconsin i sat on the committee for the streetcar uh for in cincinnati back in the late 90s and we decided at that time not to go forward with it because of weathering conditions. And, and at that in that location, it was ice. Right. Uh, it was an ice issue. Uh, when you know, I got to give a shout out to the Potawatomi tribe for for stepping up and and taking on that risk in this experiment from an operational cost perspective, because. Southeastern Wisconsin, as it wraps around Chicago to, to the north uh, eastern quadrant of Michigan, it's a very, very unique weather pattern yep. here that you, there is nowhere else in, that it, nowhere else in the country has. Yeah, ice, so, is, ice has been a huge problem in Cincinnati. You did, yeah, and but and but here it's going to be it's going to be ten times that. And, yep. You know, you hear people saying, "Well, you know." No problem because it's it's already been proven not to be a major problem in Kansas City. Yeah. <laughs> Southeastern Wisconsin, Kansas City. <laughs> no, th- are, no, no, no. You're, you're right. No, thanks to call Scott. I, I'm kind of up against Scott. You're, you're actually right. Th- this will be the the story as well, right? It's, it's snow. They say maybe snow isn't as disruptive, but ice is a killer. And yes, we we have ice, and and yeah, it's Portland, Oregon. You can say, oh, this is great in Portland. It's not a problem. Okay, we're not Portland, Oregon. And you're right. We're not Kansas City either. I continue to believe. Ten years from now. Ten years from now, this is going to be, again, a completely failed line, and what's going to happen is you're going to have new political powers in line, and they're going to say, okay, this was Tom Barrett's idea. It was a failure. Could be wrong. We'll see. 1228, Jeff Wagner. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMG. Just a couple final thoughts. I'm getting inundated with texts from people about the streetcar. My son is a techie in Seattle. He uses Lyft and Uber all the time. The streetcar is limited to where they go. Nobody's going to end up riding it. Here's somebody else. It only stops every three or four blocks. You, You can't even stop where you want. Who is going to ride this? And John points out the federal government is paying for the first 18 months of maintenance as well. Yeah, so you're not going to have any idea as to what the cost cost aspect is of this this whole thing. But I mean, I, I go, I hear this. Okay, millennials are going to love this. Millennials are going to love this. I, show me who. I mean, it, it, seriously, unless you spend a billion dollars and run a streetcar line all across the metropolitan area. I mean, seriously, imagine this. You are, it's 1030 at night on a Friday night and you're sitting in a bar. And it's a Friday night in November or December or January or February and it's 10 degrees outside or it's 15 degrees outside. All right, and and, and you want to figure out how you're going to get home or how you're going to get to the next place. Do you mean to tell me people are going to, all right, let's walk three blocks in 10 degree weather, let's stand Let's wait for the trolley to come by, and I think they're going to run the trolleys like every 10 or 15 minutes or something like that. Let's stand out. We'll wait 15 minutes, 
in 10 degree weather. Okay, here comes the trolley. We're going to hop on the trolley. It's going to take us, oh, I don't know, another quarter of a mile. Then we're going to get off and then we're going to walk four or five blocks to where we're going. That's just not how people do things anymore. What they're going to do, what the millennials are going to do, what the people are going to do is what they always do. They're going to pull out their phones. They're going to hit the app, either the Uber or the Lyft app, and somebody's going to come and they're going to pick them up. That That's what the reality is. Now, again, I don't know. The first couple months, they might have great ridership numbers because I'm sure there's, number one, a novelty factor, and number two, it's free. So it doesn't cost you anything to ride it. So I, I get that. But long term, this is just not how people get around. I understand there may be some cities in North America where it's just impossible to get around the city. You can't afford to own cars. It's just too difficult. Uh, there's too much traffic. There's no place to park, all those sort of things. That's not what Milwaukee is, though. That's just not what Milwaukee is. Again, I continue to believe that this is going to go down as tr- Tom's Trolley Folly. We won't we won't know that for a couple years, but I think it is just absolutely inevitable. All right. Yesterday, we talked about the story of, of Segway Boy. This is this lunatic, Jeremy Ryan, who was the face of the Act 10 resistance. He was the guy that drove around on the Segway and was um, showed up at all the different protests back during Act 10, ended himself getting himself arrested by the Capitol Police and things like that. He was he was the face of, uh, again, the, the far left, out-of-control protesters during Act, the Act 10 dispute. Now, he ended up, well, I think a lot of us aren't surprised. He has now been charged in a federal criminal complaint. Presumably he'll be indicted in the near future. And he's been charged with trying to use the, the dark web to buy some form of, of radioactive element that he apparently told an undercover police FBI agent that he wanted to use to poison somebody and make it look like the person had contracted cancer or something. It's just this weird sort of thing. But now he's looking at life in prison. If you were to have read many of the accounts of Jeremy Ryan, you would never have known that this guy was this far left-wing capital protester. And we, we talked about that yesterday. Matter of fact, you might have even thought he was a Republican because Ryan ran for, ran for Paul Ryan's seat. And again, hoping that people would be too stupid to realize that he wasn't Paul Ryan. Well, he actually got about 6,000 votes in a Republican primary, which does make you kind of scratch your head. But anyhow, there's all this coverage of Segway Boy, Jeremy Ryan, who is you know out there and apparently was out there trying to buy some radioactive something to kill someone. Now, would I suggest, and of course there's no question about it, this guy's been one of these out-of-control far-left protesters. Would I suggest that the reason... His motivations for doing this, because he's this unhappy political activist, would I blame Hillary Clinton for what he did? Well, of course not. Or Tammy Baldwin or Gwen Moore or Jennifer Schilling? No, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't blame any of them. What happens here is Jeremy Ryan is a kook, and he's been a kook for a long time. He's been one of these far-left radicals, and I'm not surprised at the end of the day that he's ended up Maybe a little bit surprised that this was what brought him down. But, I mean, this guy's been a train wreck for years. And I don't blame the political culture. And I don't blame the hostile environment that's out there. I mean, he's just, he, he's a kook. He's a kook. And, you know, he got caught. All right. Now, that having been said, 
They have now arrested a bomb suspect in southern Florida. The U.S. Department of Justice is going to be having a press conference, 1.30 our time. We, we will dip into this. But the information is already starting to leak out. Now, as we discussed yesterday, some people were suggesting that, okay, maybe this is this is the, this ultimate disinformation campaign, and maybe there was some, you know, heavy-duty leftist that was trying to send out all these different pipe bombs to prominent Democrats in an event to try to make Republicans look bad. My, my philosophy when it comes to analyzing criminal behavior is that, and much other type of behavior as well, is that the simplest explanation is often the best, and occasionally not, but but most of the times, if it Walks like a duck and it talks like a duck. It is probably a duck. So as I said yesterday, my inclination was this was going to be some right-wing nutjob. And there are right-wing nutjobs and there are left-wing nutjobs who was out there. And it appears that, at least based on preliminary reports, that that's correct. This is a right-wing nutjob. Now, we don't know if he acted by himself or not. My guess is he's going to turn out to be a lone wolf, but I, I, I could be wrong about that. But but here's what they are reporting about him now. Guy is 56 years old. His name is Cesar Sayoc of Aventura, Florida. That's just a little bit north of Miami. So we're talking about South Florida. I have the story in the New York Times, and they, of course, prominently point out that he is a registered Republican. Get that out of the way at first. He has a lengthy criminal history in Florida dating back to 1991 that includes felony theft, drug and fraud charges. He has also been arrested and accused of threatening to use a bomb, according to public records. So, I mean, the bats are clearly flying out of this belfry. His criminal record from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement indicates that at the time of his last arrest, he which was in 2015, um, his occupation is listed as a manager, whatever that means. On Friday morning, of course, at the time of the arrest, you've perhaps seen this if you've looked at TV, authorities had surrounded a white van with Trump stickers all over it. He's driving around in one of these vans that you see from time to time that's just, there's bumper stickers all over it, several of which are Donald Trump, pro-Trump bumper stickers or pro um, Mike Pence bumper stickers. So that's what we know so far. You've got, all right, a guy who, again, registered Republican, driving around his van with Trump stickers all over, lengthy criminal record, including an arrest for threatening to use a bomb. And, okay, so now he is in custody. So it appears to me that my inclination that the guy was a right-wing nut job is, is what's coming true, which I, I think was probably predictable at the time. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's look at the larger question. There is no doubt that we live in a charged political environment now. You have Democrats who feel that they are part of the resistance, that they can say anything that they want um, in urging people to oppose Donald Trump. You have people who feel we can walk up to Mitch McConnell when he's eating lunch or dinner in a restaurant and we can grab his food and throw it away. We can confront people as part of the resistance. And, you know, Hillary Clinton promotes that. She says, wait, we can't deal with these people uh, civilly. They're they're the basket of deplorables. On the flip side, 
you have President Trump who gives as good as he gets. No question about it. President Trump who talks about fake news. President Trump who has the various derogatory nicknames for people. All right, so you've got all this going on on both sides. And, you know, here you have, in this case, this right-wing nut job who's putting together crude pipe bombs and presumably trying to send them to um, prominent Democrats. Is it Trump's fault that somebody like this Sayoc guy did what he did? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let us assume that we are dealing with this right-wing nut job who's decided this is the way that he's going to express himself by sending out pipe bombs, which are nasty things. Is it fair to blame President Trump for this? Has he created this climate that led to a Cesar Sayoc? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The holidays are right around the corner, and WTMJ is back with our annual holiday radio show. WTMJ presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, Jane McNair, yours truly, and a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities. From Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 26th at 6.30, the live radio play will be recorded in front of a studio audience, and we want you to be part of it. Buy tickets now. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word Christmas to 414-799-1620. I know I've been saying this. This is now the second week we've been selling tickets. I I haven't had an opportunity to check on ticket sales, but this is the fourth year we've done it. Typically, this is right around the time that we sell out. And so I I mention this only because once we, I, I love those words, sold out, but once it's sold out, it is sold out. And inevitably, people will call me up or send me emails or texts and say, come on, Jeff, I'm a regular listener. I, the show's in a week and a half. I really want to go. Can you get me a couple tickets? And my answer is no. Um, so if you think you want to go, and I know we have people that have attended for all three of the first years, and they're probably going to come back, buy the tickets now. Just save yourself from some grief. 414-799-1620. They have now arrested one of the suspects in the bombing. I, we're going to have, they're going to have a press conference in about 40 minutes. We will carry at least a portion of that. It appears that it's a 56 year old guy, lengthy criminal record, including being accused of making a bomb, threatening to use a bomb. He is listed as a registered Republican. His van had Trump bumper stickers all over it. It appears like he is a right wing nut job. All right. Do we blame President Trump for this? Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. What do you think? You know, Trump may not be the most conventional president and talks probably like many of us talk over beers and whatnot, but he is by no means the blame of any of this. Call a duck a duck. The guy's a quack, and he is an extremist, and that's all this is. Mm-hmm. So it's not. It's it's no more fair to say that this is because of the climate committed by created by President Trump than it would be to, I don't know, uh, I don't know, blame, say that the Unabomber was caused by left-wing politics or something like that. It's just the guy's a nut, and period, case closed. There have been nuts all through history, and there's going to continue to be them, and those are the guys that act out and do these crazy things. And it's a shame that these people exist, but they're out there because they're mentally unstable, and that's all it is. It has nothing to do with the president. Right. Well, thanks. Well, I mean, again, it, it's is it is it possible... That I mean, is it is it possible that there is a trigger out there? I mean, but okay. So if you have some, 
I, I keep going back to the whole situation of the 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 crazy guy from Illinois who drove to Washington D.C. and started shooting at all the Republican congressmen. All right, I mean the guy was a Democrat activist. Is it fair to say? Oh well, I mean he watched MSNBC and he he watched Rachel Maddow. And you know the type of things that she was saying, and you know the stuff that people have been saying. And so, is is this is this why the guy decided to lash out and try to shoot those Republicans? I don't think that's fair. He was a a nut who could not process, or the way he processed that type of information, that climate led him to do things. I, I mean, I think the same thing is true in, in this particular respect. Assuming the guy is this right wing nut job, and that's what he is. I, I mean, I think it's absurd. I think it is absurd to blame President Trump for this any more than it would be make no sense again to blame CNN or MSNBC for the actions of the guy that shot Congressman Scalise. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Laura in Milwaukee. Laura, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. Donald Trump, from the time he started, has said vile things. He's been extremely divisive. Um, he just created an atmosphere where everybody's fighting each other, where we're calling each other names. And I don't think he's that bright, but I do think he's bright enough to know how to do that. And I think he loves attention. And to that extent, I do believe that his fault. Do I think he puts the bombs together? No. I don't think he's the most stable person in the world, but I also think there are a lot of unstable people out there, and it doesn't take a lot to get them going. And he knows exactly what it takes. Well, but where, I mean, this isn't the, the first time, even in recent history, that we've had lots of vile rhetoric going around. I mean, I, I, I was doing that. Oh, oh, no, no, let me, let, Laura, oh, let, let's go back. No, no, let's go back to, let's go back to the, the George Bush presidency when we had the <clears throat> invasion of Iraq. I mean, do, do you remember the, the type of rhetoric that was coming out of the left because they didn't like what President Bush did? I mean, I, I, I guess I, I just, I mean, th- this has been, the fact that this is I Donald think, Trump, I think, is kind of naive. This has been going on for a long, long time. Donald Trump is an incredibly, uh, in a very nice phrase, divisive yeah. president. Yes. No. I don't think that we've ever had a president that has intended to divide our country the way he has. Well, he's de- I mean, thanks. I mean, he's definitely... <laughs> He's definitely much more confrontational, but I mean, I, this idea of a divided country, and again, I, I'm, it's quickly, it's always amazing to me how quickly people forget. I mean, I think back to 2004 and, and think back to after the invasion of Iraq and think about, I mean, George Bush, this is this war. Model. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, the rise of the hate left. It, it was, I mean, it was out there, and you had people who felt they could do and pretty much say anything. And so I just, I mean, I, I only comment about this idea that, oh, this political climate has just gotten so much worse because it's President Trump. We, we've lived in a hypercharged political climate for a long time now. I mean, go back, go back to Watergate. I mean, I'm old enough to remember, you know, Watergate. I was a teenager at that time. You know, we, we've gone through these periods. Now, I grant you that President Trump 
is not a conciliatory guy. I, I, I get it. And I understand that we are very, very divided. But you've got the left, which I think gives as good as it gets from President Trump. It's the resistance. We can't do anything. Here, let's go out. We've got to confront all the Republicans. And I guess my point is, if you've got some left-wing whack job that decides that you know he's going to act out, I'm not going to blame MSNBC, and I'm not going to blame CNN, and I'm not going to blame Hillary Clinton. I'm going to say, okay, this is, you've got a nut job who is reacting to the climate out there, and I think that the same thing is true on the other side as well. But this idea of let's blame Trump, I think, is simplistic. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Eric Bilstead, in light of the Megyn Kelly implosion earlier this week, I am reluctant to talk about Halloween when we were kids. But 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 going down this, no, I'm not talking about whether blackface was appropriate. Of course, you know, it's, whatever it might have been 50 years ago. I mean, how dumb of Megyn Kelly to say that. No, but I want to talk about a different aspect of Halloween. When you were a kid growing up, okay, I assume you participated in trick-or-treating. Yes. All right. Was it on the night of Halloween, or was it like on a preceding weekend? It was on the afternoon going into the night of Halloween. Afternoon it going started in. like 4.30, would end at 7.30. Right, so if it was on a Wednesday, and that's how it was for me. I mean, I grew up in Glendale, lived in Clovernook, right, by Nicolay High School, and that's that's how it was. I mean, you'd come home after school, and you'd change into your costume, and then you'd, you'd go out, and you'd trick-or-treat primarily in the neighborhood. and it, But I remember trick-or-treating after dark. Yes. I, I remember it was after dark, but it was at least back back in the day. Hey, kids, get off my lawn. Back in the day, it was it was on the night of Halloween. There are a couple of uh, villages that still do that. Well, that, we're, we're going to get to that in just a second. Okay. Um, do you prefer trick-or-treating on the day of Halloween or like the Sunday afternoon beforehand? Day of Halloween. Day of Halloween. Yep. You're a day of Halloween yes. guy. All right. Eric Bilstadt weighs in. Thank you. This brings me to um, a movement that is going on. And I, I, I do not make this stuff up. It is called the Saturday Halloween Movement. And it is a petition that has now been signed by over 6,000 people petitioning President Trump to declare, and I don't know whether the federal government could actually do this, but to declare that Halloween... Halloween should be celebrated on the Saturday before October 31st. Eric, you want to weigh in on this? Well, you know what? I will admit when Halloween trick-or-treating does take place on that day or on a Friday, it seems to be more fun for the parents. For the- <laughs> you know, there's bonfires in people's driveways or on the yard there. Occasionally, you can have a nice spirit or two that warms you up when you're walking. I just notice it more. It's not about the kids. So in other words, it's not about the kids. It's about mom and dad. It doesn't have to be just about the kids. That's what I'm saying. All right. Well, here's the deal. The, the impetus, the driving thing behind the Saturday Halloween movement is the Halloween Industry Association, which represents companies um, who you know sell stuff around Halloween. The group also calls itself the Halloween and Costume Association. They want to have Halloween move to the last Saturday of October. Um, what they say is that, first of all, from from a safety perspective, you know, it's better to have it on a, a Saturday afternoon than it is to, you know, have it on, on a weeknight. Also, what they say is from the perspective of participation, if you have it on the 31st, and this year, of course, the 31st is next Wednesday. If you have it on the 31st, 
it's a hassle for the parents. Let's say you've got mom and dad who both work. Let's say, like Eric was talking about, your community has trick-or-treat from 4.30 till 7 or 4.30 till 7.30 or whatever. You you have, uh, mom and dad have to run home from work, and you have to make arrangements to get the kids out to trick-or-treat. Now, our communities around here, and matter of fact, I just spent the last five minutes kind of looking at all the different Wisconsin communities. I would say most typically trick-or-treating in most, I'm going to say most, certainly not all, the majority of communities have trick-or-treating this Sunday afternoon, different times. Some have it one to four, others have it three to five, etc. But the most common time is Sunday afternoon. Some communities have it on Saturday, and some communities have it on Halloween next Wednesday, um, again, five to eight or something like that. I would say the majority of communities in Wisconsin that have trick-or-treat posted have it Sunday afternoon. Um, and again, one to four, two to five, three to six, whatever that might be. But some have it on, on actual, the actual day. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand you can say, Jeff, don't you realize it, it's a much more dangerous and violent world out there now than when you were a child. And so, you know, you, you don't want to have kids that are out after dark on a Wednesday night. How irresponsible would that be? All right. But at the same time, I think there was something cool about coming home from school, going out on Halloween evening. And the truth of the matter is, I, I don't think many parents are just going to send their kids out unsupervised anyways. But how do you react? Would you like to see Halloween on Halloween or is it better to have it on the weekend, either Saturday or or Sunday afternoon. That, I think, clearly is the, the trend in the majority of communities now. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Halloween on Halloween? Or how about this Saturday Halloween movement? Or a Sunday Halloween movement? Let's start with Christina in Hartford. Christina, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hartford oh. is holding trick-or-treating on Halloween this year after many years of not doing it on Halloween, and I'm very excited. Okay, tell me why. Um, because well, I have three girls under the age of 12, and it's just, like you said, you're going to be waiting for it all day. You know it's on Halloween. You don't have to guess when it's going to be this year. You know when it's coming. And, yeah, the kids are going to come home after school. They're going to get their costumes on, run around the neighborhood, and then, yeah, they have to go to school the next day. But it's not like it's, you know, an Ed Sheeran concert where you have to wait, <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait in park. Well, I just think, and, and again, now I understand one of the arguments to, like, Halloween on Halloween, is well the, the kids they're going to but necessarily they're going to be out after dark for a while it's dangerous and things like that bad things can happen but my my guess is Christine I mean you're going to accompany your kids what, what whether it was whether it was two o'clock in the afternoon or whether it's six o'clock or night either you or your, your husband or some responsible adult is going to be going with the kids anyways right Absolutely. I mean, people have to remember, I know this time of the year, it can be dark for hours and the kids can still be up and you're going to supervise your kids. You're going to touch base with them and be out with them. Heck, why don't all of us get out of our houses and talk to each other and enjoy trick-or-treating? Outstanding. Thanks to call 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The, the Halloween industry apparently is coming down on Halloween the weekend before. Again, they they call it the the Saturday Halloween movement, but I think in, in many, many communities, especially around Wisconsin, it's Sunday afternoon. But what what's wrong? Is there really anything wrong with 
If it falls on a weeknight, like it does this year, is there anything wrong with kids going out between 5 and 7 o'clock at night or 4.30 and 6.30 or whatever those hours would be? I, I think it's just so much cooler to have Halloween on Halloween. Debbie in Waukesha. Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Debbie. Um, I've been living out in Waukesha for about 18 years now. It has always been on Halloween night. I absolutely love it. Um, mm-hmm. My children are grown now, but even when they were younger, we would go out with the kids. In fact, we were kind of the envy of all our friends. So our friends would come out with their kids because they had the Sunday one to four thing, and they thought, wow, this is so much more fun. Right. We bring our kids out there, and, and we did that for years. And and now that we're home and just, you know, handing out the candy, I still see the same things happening. The parents are out with their children, and everybody's having a great time. Yeah, well, and, and it's 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 after dark. I mean, I look, I... I, I mean, I understand. Okay, if you if you live in a community that has Halloween from one to four on a Sunday afternoon, it's just not the same running around in costumes, you know, in the daylight. It's just not. I mean, I understand the kids get the candy, but it's just. I thought it was just so much more fun. I can remember adults like again back when I was a kid. You know, adults they they'd really they'd go all in. You know, they have like scary decorations set up at the houses on Halloween. It was just so much more fun to do it after dark. Yeah, and I, I was actually, Jeff, one of those kids that grew up with the Sunday 1 to 4. Right. And I was always envious of the kids <laughs> that got to, to go out in the dark. I had family members that, that, that always were able to do that, and I never was. So I was thankful when we were in an area that had it, and I realized the kids absolutely enjoyed it that much more. And you're right, we people decorate a lot more than they do right. when you go during the day. And uh, the parents get dressed up as well most often. Right, to participate. Now, thanks for the call, Debbie. She's City of Waukesha, um, 5 till 7 o'clock, Wednesday, October 31st. And again, I'm, I have a list of, of all the different communities all across the state, the ones that have the, the times for trick-or-treat. I, I would say the majority are, are Sunday afternoon, but there's... But there's a lot, including, you know, including some of the suburban areas around us that, you know, do do have it on, uh, do, you know, do end up having it on Wednesday. 414-799-1620, Marvin in Milwaukee. Marvin, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. I'm enjoying your program. Thank you, sir. And uh, it seems funny that there's so many differences of uh, times and dates and yeah. stuff like that. And to me, I think... Uh, one day set by the whole country would maybe be better, so you can. Uh, well, okay. What what would your date be? Would it be the weekend before either Saturday or Sunday, or would it be on Halloween itself? I think the date the date before uh, Halloween that uh, more kids could participate and and it would be easier to get get them around and stuff like that. Well, they could have their parties on Halloween or whatever they wanted, but yeah. I think the trick or treating is not is a different category compared to the Halloween parties and and things that go on. Well, I got it. I mean, thanks for calling, Mark. I got to tell you, I mean, look, I, I'm I'm all in favor if you can figure out a way to to extend Halloween for a three or four day party. I'm down with that. I'm I'm cool with it, and and I I, I do agree that there is a certain appeal to having like a uniform date. I guess my point would be if Halloween is October 31st, I would make that the uniform date. And if it falls on a Saturday or Sunday, God bless. If it falls on a Tuesday or Wednesday, all right, that that's how you go too. All right, here's a note. Scott sends me a text. Jeff, 
definitely on Halloween. I'm from Long Island, and I've lived in Buffalo, New York. I never heard of the Sunday nonsense before I moved here. The day is the day. Some years work better, easier than others, but that's life. It's a special day. Kids are tired the next day, but so what? Trick or treat where you think you will be safe. That happens Sunday afternoon anyways. Thank you for a topic that isn't politics. Well, I'm there for that as well. I'm just saying it's... It's different communities have different things. And and I understand. And as a matter of fact, I've got a couple texters that that make this point. Um, a number of, of years ago, you had a, a very prominent situation out of um, out of Fond du Lac where you had a, a young girl who was murdered um, on, on Halloween night by the uh, Halloween killer. Um, and that's a number of communities ended up changing their times from the evenings to the afternoons in response to that. And bl- believe me, I mean, I, I, I know the young gals, I know the, the, the late girl's family and got to, got to know people associated with that case over the years. But, um, Gerald, who is the murderer? Gerald Turner, I want to say, I could be wrong on that, but that's what seems to strike, come to mind. But, um, the, the situation was that, that was the reaction. We, we had to move to the, the weekends for, for that. And I think in some respects that might have been an overreaction. Again, you want to trick or treat where it's safe. Obviously, you need to have mom or dad or a competent adult that's out there with the kids. But I'd say Halloween on Halloween. It's 120. This is Jeff Wagner. 124, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor reveals she may be battling Alzheimer's. A former Wisconsin governor knows the disease all too well, and he joins John McCure at 3.50 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Tune that in. Yeah, it, it was Gerald Turner, the infamous Halloween killer who was responsible for the abduction and murder of a young girl on Halloween. And as a result of that, a lot of people did decide, hey, we're going um, to move the Halloween celebration to the afternoon in an effort to be safe. And I understand that, but the the truth is, I, I think that there's ways that you can deal with that. So um, I continue to be a Halloween on Halloween guy. All right, coming up in about five minutes, the U.S. Department of Justice is scheduled to have a press conference where they're going to announce some more details about the arrest of the individuals suspected to be involved in sending all the pipe bombs to prominent Democrats across the country. I think that the thing that people are interested in uh, is, to me, is, is was the guy acting alone? Was he a lone wolf, or was he acting in concert with all sorts of other people? My guess is it's a lone wolf, but I think we'll probably find out more in a few minutes. The other thing that I think is is important, and this is, this is my kind of pro law enforcement thing coming out. It is a keep in mind. I mean, this has been what the last forty eight hours or so, maybe a little bit more, that the these bombs started these would be crude explosives started you know showing up, and it's a big country. And in that in that period of time, they apparently have caught the person that they think was responsible, or one of the people they think was responsible. And I mean, it's a big country, and I think this is a tribute to how powerful law enforcement can be and how quickly law enforcement can operate and get their man or their woman, in this case, get their man when they are properly motivated. So, I mean, assuming, again, that, you know, they've got the right person, that this is, you know, all in, all done. I mean, this is an investigation that was opened and closed in the matter of a couple of days. 
I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. And with all the debate we have about the FBI and some of the politicization of that and some of the way the FBI apparently botched a few investigations over the course of the last year or two, it's nice to see that, you know, when when you have some of these law enforcement crises, you know, they're able to come through. 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 210, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, the uh, press conference is still going on, but I, I think we get the gist of what's happening. We will uh, continue to monitor that. But but essentially, and this is a, a tribute to, to law enforcement, essentially, and the sense I get from listening to the conversations is they believe this man that's in custody was a lone wolf. I mean, they're, they're saying the investigation is ongoing, and I guess it's possible it could lead to others, but my sense, at least, is they think he was operating by himself. What they don't know is whether or not there are more of these pipe bombs that, that are out there. Uh, I think their count, they said 13, ABC News counts 14, but regardless, that's a lot of them, and who knows that that's if that is all of them or not. And that's why, of course, you have the FBI director and others saying, if you see something suspicious, please be sure and call those numbers. It is interesting because you always wonder, how do you, I mean, how do you solve a case like this? Given the fact that this is such a huge country, how, how do you identify somebody who you suspect to be responsible for this, and how do you do it in such a short period of time, keeping in mind that, all right, here we are Friday afternoon, and the man they believe in custody has been arrested, and this whole thing started Wednesday morning. And I, I think you, you get the indications. They the, the big break was that on, on one of the packages, in this case one sent to California Congresswoman Maxine Waters, there was a, a fingerprint, a fingerprint belonging to the, the suspect. And my guess is that once they got that fingerprint, they were then, th- th- then once they had a, a name, they were able to look. And apparently they said on a couple of the other devices, they had certain DNA samples. And because this man has a relatively lengthy arrest and conviction history, there are presumably there are samples of his DNA around. So what happens is once they have a name based on the fingerprint, then you can go back and you can start doing the DNA matches. And, and that's at that point in time, you're able to kind of hone in on who the suspect is. So it is a, a tribute to law enforcement that you could get all this done this quickly and i think we should not lose sight of that fact so that that's it right now my sense is they think they have the person that's responsible but again that the scary thing is they don't know whether or not they have all the explosive devices and as, as i said a little while ago if you are looking for a silver lining in a very dark cloud it's that none of these things went off and that's that is almost it's it's almost miraculous because when you have somebody trying to make these crude explosives and the FBI director said these weren't hoax things. He said they weren't hoax devices. They were they were crude explosives, but capable, presumably of exploding. And thankfully, none of them did. All right. Let, let's switch gears. By the way, in about 18 minutes, we've got uh, Pop Culture Corner. We haven't done that for a couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward to that as well. But here's the. Um, here, there is an election, by the way, if you haven't noticed from all the different advertising that, you know, we've been running on the radio station. There is an election a week from Tuesday. The midterm elections, and in many cases, people have been predicting that there will be, you know, a blue wave. That, that the big difference this year, as opposed to perhaps other years, is there is this huge enthusiasm gap and that the left 
motivated by its absolute hatred of Donald Trump, is going to be running through brick walls to vote against anybody that has an R after their name to send a message to Donald Trump. What you have seen in the polls, to the extent we believe polls, is that that blue wave appears to be kind of crashing a little bit before it gets to the shore as more and more traditional Republican voters come home. That's why in a number of races that were originally thought to be locks for the Democrats, at least the polling suggests that that is not the case. Now, here in Wisconsin, we allow early voting. It used to be, and I've reviewed this before, it used to be that in order to vote absentee, you had to be unable to go to the polling place on the day of the election, and you could request a, a ballot in advance. That law was changed a number of years ago. So now you can vote in advance if you are unable or unwilling to go on election day. And unwilling essentially means, hey, I, I want to vote early. And communities have embraced that. Now, we've seen these numbers before. Madison and Milwaukee in particular, recognizing that they are Democratic strongholds and they are run by Democrats, have some of the most generous, that would be liberal, voting opportunities for people to early vote, whether it's the hours the polling places are open or the number of polling places or or whatever. And the the idea is, okay, let's make it as easy as possible for people to vote. And by the way, for example, in the city of Milwaukee, we know that, you know, 70 to 80 percent of the people are going to vote for Democrats. So if that happens to be a side advantage to letting people vote early, all right, that be that as it may. I've always I, I, I haven't opposed early voting, but I've always thought it should be standardized. But nevertheless, that's not where we are right now. So. You have more opportunities for people to vote early in, say, Madison and Milwaukee than you might have in other places. And it appears by some of the early numbers that that's, that is what is happening. You have um, voter turnouts that are out there. Let's see. Um, the number of by, – by the end of Monday in the city of Milwaukee, the early vote total had hit 10,005. Okay, that compares to 15,000 for the entire 2014 midterm uh, elections. So the thinking is, in the city of Milwaukee, you're going to have a lot more people that vote early um, this time around than voted early last time around. And again, given the fact that the makeup of the city is overwhelmingly Democratic, the idea would be that means we're going to have a lot more early voting and a lot more Democrats that are voting early. All right, that is, of course, a potential, and we have heard that in elections before where, hey, the number of Democrats voting early, or at least the number of people voting in the heavily Democratic areas have have been large. That, however, hasn't translated to electoral results because at the end of the day, whether people vote early or vote on Election Day, the, the same number of people end up voting, period. So I want to take a segment of the program, and I, I want to try to measure voting enthusiasm. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In 2008, when Barack Obama was running for president the first time, there were people who would, to use my analogy, run through brick walls, stand in the pouring rain for the opportunity to vote for him. 
in 2011, when we had the recall elections, um, there were people who would, I think they'd run through brick walls to vote against the recall and vote for Scott Walker. All right, some of the sentiment is that, all right, this is going to be a year where the enthusiasm to vote for Democrats greatly exceeds the enthusiasm to vote for Republicans. I don't buy that. But what are what do you think? 414-799-1620, how motivated are you to get out and vote, either a week from Tuesday or before that? 414-799-1620, are you enthusiastic about this election voting for whichever side you want to vote for. 414-799-1620. Let's measure the enthusiasm of your support for your candidates. We're back to discuss in just a moment. 218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, In Milwaukee and Madison, where they make it extremely easy, easier than in other places to early vote, they say that the numbers look, look strong. And the interpretation that some in the mainstream media says, this means it's going to be a wave for Democrats. I, I reject that. Um, I, I think that the bottom line is I, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for Republicans to vote, and I think you see that on Election Day. I mean, I remember the last couple of election cycles. I, I've been hearing the same story. Oh, it's going to be horrible for Republicans because, gee, there's all these people that voted in, in Madison early. Well, okay, may, maybe they did, but the bottom line is on Election Day, Republicans came out and voted big time. Micah in McGuanago, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, I am enthusiastic about voting in this election for uh, Hukmir and Walker, just because I see the stakes mm-hmm. in this election. But that doesn't move me enough to early vote, just because I like voting on the day mm-hmm. of election. And I just see the stakes, what's at stake in this election. So I am absolutely motivated. Yeah. Uh, so then tell me, the last few elections. Why, is it, why is it that you're going to vote on election day instead of like do the early voting? I just like the overall feeling, like to see the poll workers' excitement. I mean, we've been yeah. in Quantico for a little while, so I know the people there, and mm-hmm. just one of those things, I guess. No, no, th- I mean, no, no, and you don't have to apologize because I know exactly what you mean. I look, I won't say that I have never early voted because a couple times, um, especially, especially in presidential election on voting days, if I had other responsibilities like i'm i you know i used to do tv and stuff like that so you i and i, and I was like okay i can't get caught in a polling line for 45 minutes because i just don't have that time given what i have to do on election day so i have early voted but i'm i'm with you i love everything about voting on the day of the election now i understand maybe that makes me sound kind of like jimmy stewart you know mr smith goes to washington but i I love it i love being part of the civic experience where you you go to the the polling places and um you know the, the last election you know my wife and i went down and voted together i think we'll probably do the same thing a week from tuesday you kind of stand in line you give them it's just kind of the community thing I like voting on election day. Now, I, I voted in almost every election, and certainly I think every national election, you know, since I was able to vote once I turned 18. But, I mean, the bottom line is I'm going to be voting on election day. It doesn't mean because I haven't voted early that I'm not motivated to vote. And so that's where I think some of the analysis is wrong, because at the end of the day, I think voters come home. Rick in Bayview. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, I'm voting uh, election day. I like the excitement of voting, everybody that's at the polls. And that's convenient for me. It's right across the street from my home. Right. 
right? And so you're not you're not going to be daunted by lines. If you wake up a week from Tuesday and I don't know, maybe it's cold, it's in the 30s, you've got kind of that freezing drizzle that we get, you're still going to go and you're going to vote. Well, I get up early anyways. I'm a crossy guy. <laughs> got it. All right, now thanks for calling. See, that's that that's the thing that's the thing that's out there. And I mean, I think that if there was an enthusiasm gap, and look, I don't know how some of these state elections are going to turn out. I'll try to focus on that, and I'll make my predictions, but you know, coming up, but I in before the elections. But I, I, I do think this idea that there's this huge enthusiasm gap, and the Republicans are going to stay home. I, I don't, I don't believe that. I, I just don't believe it. It's not where I think the electorate is right now, and I think you're going to have some very, very close elections, which is why. Whoever your candidate is, it's so important for people to get out and vote. Tim in Fredonia. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Happy Friday, young man. Same to you, sir. You know, uh, the whole enthusiasm, the early voting started back, like you mentioned, back in OHF. I mean, Obama, first black presidential nominee. Everybody get out to vote. But I almost think, like, Jeff, the stigma's worn off. It's almost like the, uh, like you say, the novelty. Should I say? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm an election day guy myself. It's like opening Christmas gifts on Christmas Eve. You know, it's just kind of not not the same. You know, so, right? Um, and I, you're exactly right. There's if you want, if the Democrats will show up and vote early, fine, you go right ahead. But I think the majority, and I could be wrong. I think the majority of conservative or Republican people, Jeff, they just like to. to I could be wrong. The, the tradition of voting on voting day. And I'm one of those junkies, Jeff. I'll say <laughs> 7 o'clock, I'll turn on, you know, right. Fox you News or whoever it is. Start looking for the exit polls and all that. No, no. no th- thanks for calling. No, see, and I, I'm with you. I mean, I'm, I, I'm an election day junkie, and that's, it, it's actually, like, over the years, I, I've had lots of election night responsibilities, and as time has gone on, I've tried to, I've tried to shy away from them, because I just assume kind of hang out and watch TV and do all those things without having to worry about being on TV or, or being on the radio. I am very glad to let other people do it. So I get to watch the stuff as it's breaking in real time and then talk about it the next day. Corinne in Missouri, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how Hi. are you today? Very well, thank you. Are you are you calling me from Missouri? Well, I'm in route back home. Okay, outstanding. Yes. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah. I'm surprised I still have your station on. Uh, we are we are a fifty Illinois. We are a fifty thousand watt blowtorch. You can't get away from us anywhere. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Oh, maybe I maybe I can get you when I'm down at home. Yeah, well, um, it's, we're on this. We're, there is this thing called the internet, and there's a WTMJ app. You can listen to us anytime. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. I'll have to find that. All right. In any um, event, what's your point? You you want to make a point? My, well. When I used to live in Wisconsin, and I had an absentee ballot sent to me there. And when I voted in Wisconsin, I just had to have somebody witness that I was the one that did the absentee ballot. Right. In Missouri, you have to have your ballot or your your return envelope notarized. Really? Huh? Yes. So, so you, you have to go and find a notary. You got to find a notary public somewhere. Yes, you do. Hmm. Yes, you do. <laughs> so I think that helps with the um, the illegal voting, too. Hey, are you going you know? to, uh, uh, who's, who's going to win the Senate race out in Missouri? Is McCaskill going to, is she going to win again or is she going to get beat? I think she's going to get beat. I do, too. I think she, <laughs> she, she's just not in the right place. 
I think no. I think uh, you know uh, Missouri's becoming more and more conservative with different elections. I I think Corinne, I, I think you're right. I think she's going to get beat as well. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Have a safe trip back home. Okay. All right, that's Corinne calling us on the way home from Missouri. All right, let's take a quick break. Pop Culture Corner is coming up in a couple minutes. Um, bottom line is. You, you have an opportunity to early vote. I think in most communities, it, it runs off the top of my head. It runs for another week, um, but but double check on that. And then, uh, of course, I'm, I'm going to be out there at the polls on Election Day. Um, it's 220 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 235 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I guess it's official. Um, Megan Kelly. Officially out at NBC, Megan Kelly's show canceled. No surprise. Uh, the, the interesting thing will be whether or not they have to pay off her contract. And my initial, uh, again, my initial reaction is, yeah, I think they're going to have to. I mean, there's, they, one of the controversies originally is when they brought her over from Fox, they they just, they paid her $23 million a year, which is lots more than anybody else made over there, which created, I think, some some huge issues to begin with. Her show, it was just never a good fit. I mean, that that's part of it. They, it was, be bizarre to me because Megan Kelly at Fox kind of had this. She had carved off out this niche as being sort of more of a provocateur, and you know she she took on issues that people typically didn't take on. And I, I mean, I think she had a degree of popularity. I'm not sure if she's really a conservative or not, but but nonetheless, she had this niche. And then they bring her over to NBC and they pay her just a boatload of money, and th- then they try to make her do something that she hadn't been successful for. I mean, she had a successful formula at Fox in the evenings, you know, for the la- for 12 or 13 years. And then you pay her a boatload of money and you put her in the mornings and it's a whole different audience. And, you know, you don't want the hard news type of approach and you don't want that kind of inquisitor. And you, you know, have her making muffins and things like that. Nothing against making muffins, but that's not who she was. So th- this was doomed to, I think, failure from the beginning. And my sense is they were looking for an excuse to dump her, and this this whole blackface controversy provided that. But that doesn't mean that she's that doesn't mean that they don't have to pay her off on her contract. So that's going to be the interesting thing. All right, we are at that point in the week, and this has been a long week where we put aside the heavy lifting, and we just have a little bit of fun. We go into the weekend. In this case, it is the Halloween weekend. I know Halloween is next Wednesday, but in many communities, Halloween is going to be on either Saturday or Sunday. But one of the things that you've already seen for the last week or two is if you turn on a lot of the TV channels that I watch, what you see is the ones that have movies, they are featuring Halloween-related movies. All right. I am not necessarily a guy who likes to have the cheese scared out of me by watching scary movies. My producer grew, on the other hand, the scarier, the better, the more haunting, the more troubling, the one that wakes him up in the middle of the night going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that happened, the better. That is grew. I am the other way around, but nonetheless, I have an appreciation for good filmmaking, and I have seen more than my share of horror movies in the time. So it's Halloween weekend. This is Pop Culture Corner. Let's do a movie-related one. What is the scariest movie? that you have ever seen, that you would recommend to somebody, 414-799-1620, you know, that movie that just, you watch it, and after you see it, you walk out going, I can't believe I watched that movie, it is going to haunt me forever, or I'm not going to sleep for the next week, or I can't believe I've got to go home to the house by myself because my spouse is on vacation, and now i got to remember this particular movie, scariest movie you have ever seen. 
And this is kind of a public service to everybody who's listening. So for people who want to be scared over the course of the next couple nights, what would you recommend? Scariest movie ever, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mr. Gru, who likes to be scared, he is lining up the calls. We'll take a break and then be back, so we'll have some time to get to as many people as we possibly can. As I always say during these segments, call early because our phone lines tend to jam up, and I want to get to as many calls as possible, and go with your first instinct. Sometimes people tend to overthink it. All right, when I say scary movie, the movie that just scared the heck out of you, what what is that film? All right, back with your calls in just a moment. 239, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, Halloween is coming up. It's Pop Culture Corner. We are talking about horror movies, the scariest movie that you have ever seen, the one that continues to haunt you. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Donna in Cedarburg. Hi, Donna. Hi. All right, the scariest movie you've ever seen. Well, The Omen. Okay. The one that still scared me to death was Wait Until Dark. You know, it's funny you should mention Wait Until Dark, because it's not a typical horror movie, but Aud- it's not. Audrey Hepburn played a, a blind woman who was being, you know, stalked by the, these killers and all. I remember, it's funny that you should mention that, Donna, because I remember I saw it in the basement of a church. A friend of mine, it, it was like a, a church movie night, and I remember on a Friday evening, and I think we were sleeping over at his house later on, and, and we saw it, and that... That movie to this day, I mean, it, it scares me. I screamed so loud that this at one point it was like, "Oh my God, what happened?" Yeah, so, no, yeah. it's no, there's no thanks for no quite. I mean, wait until dark, and again, it, it's not it's not a classic horror movie, but it's a suspense movie. And Audrey Hepburn plays blind woman. I love it. The, the original Omen, and and when she's talking about the original one, I assume she means the the uh, the original one with. Um, uh, Gregory Peck, that, oh, scary. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Mike in Greendale. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Exorcist. Ooh. Now, did you, are you old enough, did you see it when it first came out in movie theaters? I saw it, I saw it in Germany, in German, and my, and my girlfriend was translating it for me, and my roommate read the book and said, wow, that's a scary, is there a movie? <laughs> it was brand new. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to see it. And here's what happened. I went to see that movie in German, and some of the parts I didn't understand because I didn't speak German at that time, right? Fluently, so she described it to me, and that was the scariest movie I ever seen. <laughs> so I went back to my room. And I told my my roommate, "There's something wrong with you if you're reading that book." <laughs> well, anyhow, we had bunk beds, and when you have a bunk bed on top of a bunk bed, I took the legs off the bunk bed and put them underneath, so my bed was above the floor. <laughs> so I fell asleep. And he crawled underneath my bed and started kicking, and he almost got hurt. I said, are you something wrong with you? Yeah, don't you realize I just saw The Exorcist? No, thanks for calling. I mean, the reason I asked if he saw it is I remember when when the – and this is, this is, of course, before the Internet, before social media and stuff. But when The Exorcist first came out, it was – it was a national phenomena, and all these people were coming forward and claiming that they'd been possessed by demons and stuff. It was it, it was troubling in the extreme. It, the movie came out, I want to say, in the summer, and it was just, I mean, to this day, you know, people still in Washington, D.C., there, there's a scene where a guy falls down the stairs. People, I, I, I have been there. I, I mean, I know where that is. People go find this little, like, like little staircase where they, they film The Exorcist. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to David in Fond du Lac. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? Real well, thank you. Okay, if you want to just scare yourself and scare everybody on Halloween, what's the movie we're going to go watch? 
children of the corn. I mean, I didn't see it until I was in South. I think I was 19 years old or 20. Did not care for it at all. Um, very scary. No, right. It, it's no thanks. No, it's it's scary and it's scary and it's troubling. Um, as well. I will tell you. Let me let me give you one of mine. I, and again, I'm not I'm not the aficionado that that many people are. But um, Night of the Living Dead, the original one, black and white, and I, I, when I first saw that, I saw it in a movie theater, and I didn't know what I didn't know what to expect. I mean, again, it wasn't like I, I'd had a chance to read on Wikipedia what the thing is. I, I went in completely blind, which in many respects is is the best way I think sometimes to see these horror movies where you don't know what's going to happen. And you know, it, it starts off in this graveyard, and then all of a sudden you've got these zombies. And you know, and that that I mean, now it seems every time you turn around, every second movie is going to be a zombie movie. But back then, it was like, oh my gosh, what's going on there? That one continued to be troubling to me as well. 414-799-1620. Scott in McGuanago. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, how are you doing today? Well, well, thank you. Okay, your favorite scary movie. Well, cheesy by today's standards, but when I was a kid, the original, uh, the, the movie Salem's Lot. The witch's movie, yeah, yeah. No, no, uh, the vampire movie. Oh, right, okay, got it. Sorry, that's what I meant, right. But the one particular scene where the one kid becomes a vampire and he comes floating up to his brother's window at night, scratching at the window. <laughs> um, curtain curtains were closed in my room for probably six months. After that. <laughs> yeah. as, no, like I said, right? No, today. you know it is. No, but thanks for calling. Well, the other, it's kind of like. Um, as, as far as vampire movies go, one of the ones that I Fright Night, the the original Fright Night with Roddy McDowell, not the the remake again, but that that was another one where it, it was kind of fun and you know and and entertaining and kind of quick paced, and then towards the end, I mean, it just takes a turn for for the dark side, and it becomes just a, a tremendous. Just, just a tremendous horror movie. Uh, Lost Boys would be another one of the vampire movies that I like a lot. Um, let's see, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Jean in Waukesha. Jean, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. Hi. Um, scariest one for me is A Lady in White. I don't think I've ever seen that. What's it about? Um, it's about a. It takes place at Halloween, and it's about a little girl who was murdered years ago, and a little boy in. The school, a one house, a one room school. Okay. And the, a little boy gets locked in there as a, a bullying prank by all the kids, and he sees her ghost. Oh, and it's it's a ghost story movie. Okay. Well, but it's really a psychological, mm. scary, icky, yucky <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that that haunts you. <laughs> that that continues yeah. to that you remember it to this day. Yeah. yeah. No, thanks for calling. Appreciate. It. Number of people are, are saying Halloween, and by the way, that's actually what got me started on this. The the movie that made the most money last week at the box office was was the remake of Halloween, and I, not really a remake, the update of Halloween featuring Jamie Lee Curtis. I remember the original Halloween. I was in. Um, it was all right. I'm I'm not I'm not a real fan again of of horror movies necessarily, but I, I remember taking a date to that movie, and it was just a great date movie in some respects because there's all those different things where you know you're, you're just scared and the surprises and stuff like that and you know that your date just kind of like grabs your arm and holds on tight you know just the just absolutely wonderful that way 414-799-1620 you know you have all the different slasher movies that are out there and stuff and i i I understand that there you know some people really enjoy that type of stuff me not necessarily what's your favorite one group the descent okay that's a relatively recent one right 
2007, 2000, The Descent. Okay, I have not seen that one. And if I tell you that I don't necessarily like horror movies, that would I shouldn't watch that one tonight. In other words, I shouldn't see if it's on Netflix, right? You think I would love it. All right. Recognizing that if I watch it and then I can't sleep for the next two nights, you will end up hearing it. Bruce says The Descent. 414-799-1620. Uh, George in Illinois. George, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. 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 Uh- how about uh, Bella Lugosi's The Mummy? The original Mummy. Okay, before all these remakes and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the great and thanks for I mean, you know, one of the great universal movies. That's I mean, I did grow up on on those the, the original black and white things. You've got the you've got The Mummy and you've got of course Frankenstein with Boris Karloff and you've got Bella Lugosi and Dracula and all those different movies and the werewolf movie and all that the wolfman all those different types of movies the universal ones that they tried to do as remakes and it just it didn't take off but yeah some of the original ones very very good and in Milwaukee and you're on WTMJ Hi how are you doing I am well thank you okay if you want to be scared on Halloween what are you watching The Shining no <laughs> doubt about it scariest movie I've ever seen, and I don't care if I watch it 20 times, it's still as scary as the first time. <laughs> the, um, the, you know, one of the great sort of haunted house movies, you know, Jack Nicholson and the family all trapped in this, trapped in the, the snowy lodge, the hotel, and nobody around, yeah. Even the beginning of it, when he's trekking up there on that winding road, the, the ominous music is just enough for me right there. Uh, well, yeah, and the and the girls, the like the, the twin girls. Oh, no, that's yeah. Really yeah, no, I, 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 um, that that's definitely one that gets your attention as well. I that that was one that I didn't know what I was getting into, and I, I should have figured out when you got Stanley Kubrick making the movie, and you've got like Stephen King. I'll tell you, you know, we um another one that gets me is is it? You know, the one with the the crazy clowns. That's kind of freaky to me as well. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to um. Let's see, Tony in Sussex. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hey. hey, Tony. What's your what's the scariest movie? Uh, for me, it's Silent Rage with Chuck Norris. Uh yeah. Where there's a th- that boy. That's one. I'm not sure a lot of people have seen it. That goes back to the early '80s, I think, as I recall. And he's yeah. right. He, yeah. He's he's a sheriff trying to stop a killer, right? Right. He's a psychopathic killer that uh, they injected with like a some type of chemicals that basically made him immortal, so he couldn't be killed. <laughs> and he never spoke. He was super quiet. He just snuck around, and when you thought you were like getting ready to get away, right? He was just standing there. I mean, it was like it was incredible. It was an awesome movie, and and scary. Okay, thanks for the call. That's um, I, I I kind of vaguely remember that one. One that I I watched against my better judgment and scared me was The Ring. That was that one. I, against my better judgment, I watched it, and then that that frightened the heck out of me. Stephanie in Milwaukee. Stephanie, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Stephanie. I, I'm calling about the Babadook. Oh, oh that, that's a troubling movie. <laughs> I, I, that's another one I watched against my better judgment, and it scared the heck out of me. Agreed. Agreed. Um, it, it originally in Australia. It's an, it's an Australian movie. It goes back about four or five years, as I recall, and it was... Um, uh, we won't give too much away, but it's um, that's it. It is that that is one that will trouble you, right? Yes, it will, and you are correct. It was more an art an art house feel. 
juicer than anything else. Right, 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 right. But yeah, the the Babadook. Yes, I thanks you can know. I I remember that. That's one that um, if it pops up on Netflix or something, it's worth checking out. All right, just one more. Jack and Elkhorn. Jack, your favorite scary movie? Jaws. Oh. Did you see it in the theater when it first came out? I, I, I saw it at Brookfield Square the first show at 1.30 in the morning. Oh. The, day, the day it opened, I went with two of my buddies. We were supposed to be painting. It was somewhere at Marquette University, and we said, the hell with this, we're going to go see Jaws. <laughs> we, uh, I, we screamed like little girls. We were in I, I, college. I was like a sophomore in college, and I screamed like a little girl. <laughs> well, I will tell you. I know. I, I, I will tell you. That's another. That was another great date movie. I remember the gal I went to see that with, and when that jaw, when that shark came out of the water for the first time, I still have the marks that she left in my arm. The way and and maybe or maybe it was the other way around. Maybe she still has the marks that I left in her arm. All right, um, I, I'll give you another one. It's a psychological, very very troubling movie. It's called The Vanishing. Won't even tell you too much about it, but it, it watch the foreign language film if you want to be seriously disturbed. Um, but it's Halloween. Treat yourself. I might even watch a scary movie tonight. My wife has to work, so what the heck? I'll sit down with the dog. Check it out. John McCurry is in next with Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. We'll find out what he has on his mind. It's two fifty five.